there's a statement that we often share uh, with parents uh, that we say that expectations and particularly those that aren't communicated often become only preconceived resentments. And so when we engage in something, be it a profession or a job choice or any choice of life, and we have unset expectations, that we haven't said them to ourselves in a very clear way, nor have we communicated them to our boss or any other stakeholders, we then become resentful. But when we know when we're walking into something and why we're doing it with purpose, uh, it's a lot easier to accept that environment and that reality. And so often younger kids go into places into work environments and make decisions and they truly don't know why they ended up there. And later halfway through when they have a breakdown, they say, why? Why am I doing this? The important thing is to answer that question before you go into it. Welcome back. Thanks again for joining us. Today, we are really excited to talk in depth about mental health and why it is super important to the career process. But before we get started with our guest, Alan, do you want to share a bit more about why you are so passionate about mental health and why it is relevant to the career space? Yeah, actually, this is a really big point for me. Um, a lot of the students with whom I worked have gone down paths into careers and they're incompatible and then they trigger some mental health crises. The career choice is a mental health choice and that they that you need to be aware of mental health issues and be able to kind of process that as you go through this kind of thinking and this process. Yeah, I think that that's super relevant. And it's definitely something that I've felt multiple times throughout my journey thus far. And I think our guest today is going to speak way more eloquently than either Alan or I could about this topic. Um, So without further ado, we will get into our interview with Alex. This week, we are joined by Alex Stavros, who is the CEO of Embark Behavioral Health, which offers a network of treatment and therapy programs across the United States that specializes in preteens, teens, and young adults struggling with anxiety, depression, and other mental health and substance use issues. Prior to this, Alex was the managing partner of Leah Capital Partners, focused on growing the impact of mission-driven businesses. Alex has worked at the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, a U.S. government agency that mobilizes private capital to help solve critical world social and poverty challenges. He's on the board of Peruvian Partners, a nonprofit established to connect North Americans with Peruvian families that live in abject poverty, and he graduated with honors from American University with both an economic theory and international development degree, and he earned his MBA from from Stanford's Graduate School of Business with a focus on social entrepreneurship. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, Danielle. My pleasure. Uh, to spend some time with you. We're super excited. Can you share more about what you do currently and how you got there? Sure. Uh, I'm the CEO of a company uh, called Embark Behavioral Health. Uh, We have set out on a big, hairy, audacious goal to take adolescent and young adult anxiety, depression, suicide from the all-time highs of today to all-time lows by 2028. In order to accomplish that, Uh, we have to tackle three big things. One is we have to increase the awareness of the youth mental health crisis in our country. The second is we have to end the stigma. And the third is we have to create more access to high quality services. So Embark is a for-profit organization, but is inherently mission-driven and what we call a force for good. Uh, All of us that work at Embark really believe that business can be a force for good. And for those societal problems that can be uh, solved via a for-profit model. We believe it's best to be solved that way because it's inherently sustainable. 
uh, to solve that problem. But it's important to know that the reason the business exists, the purpose of the business is to solve that societal problem, not to maximize shareholder value. It's also to optimize all of the needs of stakeholders. Uh, I joined Bark Behavioral Health uh, almost 10 years ago, right out, out of uh, business school. Uh, I, I grew up in uh, Peru, um, uh, Lima, where my parents are social workers and originally moved down as missionaries back in the 80s. I graduated high school from Peru, and that really gave me the heart to want to be able to give back and serve. I then moved to the States uh, to become an economist in Washington, D.C. I went to college and I wanted to work for the World Bank or the IMF and solve world poverty. Most of the work my parents continue to do is uh, in the slums in the outskirts of Lima. They focused and dedicated their lives to one specific slum in the outskirts of Lima. And uh, over time, through um, my uh, academic and educational experience, work experience, I really found a passion for using business as a force for good. So fast forward to uh, a couple of different career moves. After uh, business school, I ended up meeting a number of individual investors and pitched them the idea to support and back me and going to find a inherently mission-driven business to buy and to scale to solve critical uh, societal problems in our country. And uh, so that ended up being 18 individuals that had a similar heart to the one that I had and a desire to want to give back. And over the past 10 years, we've expanded from just one location and one state to now 18 uh, being having services in 18 different states and um, 1,300 employees and a whole full continuum of care from outpatient treatment to short-term residential to wilderness therapy to long-term residential therapeutic boarding schools um, and uh, and the full continuum. So that's a, a quick background of myself, how I got here, uh, what our organization does. So what was it about mental health that made you want to start this company? Like, did you have any experience that really gave you the insight that this was something that was needed in the United States or how did you come to that conclusion? Uh, yeah, good question. So uh, growing up, uh, I didn't know much at all about mental health. And, um, and as I mentioned before, I ended up moving to the States to become an economist. What I did know a lot about and read a lot about and bought all the books was about economic development. And I wanted to understand what was keeping people in poverty, what was keeping countries in, in poverty and preventing them from developing. Uh, so that was what was familiar to me. And when we, talked, when we would talk about the problems in our world, uh, I, was, I would always approach it from the perspective of poverty of resources. Uh, what I ended up learning through life experience is that what my family, my parents actually do, and what I'm most concerned about is not poverty of the resources, but in fact, the poverty of the heart. And for many people that go to the slums all around the world, often you hear people say, gosh, the kids, the kids look so happy. How is that? They don't have anything. Why are they smiling? And uh, my belief is that what people are seeing is not happiness, but joy. And joy is very different than happiness. Joy is the product of a shared experience comes about by putting others first and can only truly be experienced when you go through pain and suffering. And through that pain and suffering, you're in relationship and you find meaning with others. And so for those that live in the slums, those kids, they have their family and they're focused on survival and each other and their neighbor and their community. And they don't have this idea of this rat race or I have to get here or buy this house or 
get this car or be on social media or what's my plan? It's every day they take day by day. So we talk about the importance of mindfulness. We talk about the importance of community, of relationship, of family. They don't have to, like we do in the United States, think about that and try to prioritize it. It's their reality. And uh, what uh, ended up happening uh, at graduate school for me was I wanted to find an organization that I was defining as people intensive, service intensive, that was working with people when they were at their worst and that provided a service that was transformational and not transactional. Those were the parameters of the type of company I wanted to lead and work for. And I wanted to use business as a force for good, for-profit business as a force for good. And so I was looking for those types of parameters. And doing the due diligence, I ended up learning about the whole world of mental health, first about substance abuse with adults, and then eventually learned about the issues that that young kids struggle with. Uh, you know, fast forward now to today, and we now realize there's so much more awareness that there's lots of mental health issues in the slums where my parents work, lots of trauma, and a lot of that perpetuates a lot of their issues. This cycle of poverty, when I was focused initially on econometrics as a way to solve the problem, macroeconomics, microeconomics, a lot of it had to do with human nature, with human trauma that was preventing them. It ended up being self-deception, it ended up being perpetuating traumas that are passed down. So my world started to open up to learn more and more about mental health. Uh, and I also learned that this idea of the poverty of the heart at the end of the day, my parents work was about relationship. It was not really about getting people out of poverty. It was helping people understand that they're worthy, that they're fully accepted unconditionally. And there's so much power in that. And when we talk about mental health, the number one way to heal issues of mental health is creating experiences and environments of unconditional acceptance, which is very similar to what I grew up at. We were trying to create in the slums. And so fast forward to the last few years, uh, when I first joined uh, Embark Behavioral Health 10 years ago, uh, the CDC really wasn't reporting uh, a crisis. It only started several years ago. A few things happened. One is there was legislation that came about, the Mental Health Parity Act, the Affordable Care Act that made mental health an essential benefit. All this started to increase more awareness. The CDC started reporting that adolescent anxiety, depression, suicide was at all-time highs. So people started to become more aware of the issues. There started to be less stigma. And that started to give me a lot more uh, passion and drive for wanting to solve this now global, this country, this societal uh, problem. So in a way, I kind of stumbled on the whole mental health uh, world. But it's the idea of foundationally, I grew up in a place where deep relationships mattered most, that having a heart to serve mattered most. And I wanted to find an organization where I could be working for and with and serving people that were at the worst, that were struggling, that felt empty, that felt helpless and hopeless. I wanted that. I didn't realize that that would come in a place from a place of focusing on mental health. However, I had done enough work over my life when I was young and in college was constantly studying who I am, what my purpose is in life, what my values are, and how I can align my personal life with my work life and the hobby life, not to find work-life balance, but to find work-life integration, where becoming a better CEO made me a better father, and a better father made me a better husband. And I put myself in situations and in communities where I became more of the person that I wanted to be that can make a positive impact on society.
I could go on and on listening to this. This is so, so incredibly helpful. Um, the one thing that's really resonating, particularly with a lot of what I, what I've thought before is, and what I've heard is a lot of this work-life balance from 20 year olds. And, and I, and to me, I've often heard, you know, Hey, I need work-life balance. And that to me is indicative that they're not choosing the right life in my mind, because I love, I love your notion of integration a, a lot. Do you think stigma is holding people back with respect to things like career path choices? Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about social media's impact on that as well? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I would say more so than stigma. I think that there's, uh, and social media is definitely part of this, is there's a general sense of an expectation. And what's important is that we need to do the work to understand. First, we need to know that there's an expectation we put on ourselves. And more often than not, it's somebody else's expectation that we think they have of us. And it could be parents, it could be friends, it could be society. And so the first step is to recognize we've placed an expectation on ourselves. So let's acknowledge that. And let's find out what that expectation is. And let's find out where it's coming from. Because it's not always social media. It's not always friends. Sometimes it can be your father. Sometimes it can be your mother. Sometimes it can be grandfather. And a lot of times that expectation can be good. Sometimes the expectation can be bad. Sometimes the expectation could have come from a bad place, but we're using it in a way for positive benefit, but we just don't let life happen to us. Instead, we're always thinking about what is that pressure? What is that underlying? Why do I feel like I need to go there? And so one could say when we want to go to right out of college to say, I got to go get a consultant job, or I got to go to investment banking, or I got to go to work for, for a big four, or I've got to go. Part of that is that it's been very ingrained in us that that's the boot camp that that's the stage, that's how you start a career that's gonna teach you how to be a professional. And, but it, you have to make sure that you acknowledge that and that I'm choosing to do that because of this. So that then you don't have preconceived and there's, there's a statement that we often share uh, with parents uh, that we say that expectations and particularly those that aren't communicated often become only preconceived resentments. And so when we engage in something, be it a profession or a job choice or any choice of life, and we have unset expectations that we haven't said them to ourselves in a very clear way, nor have we communicated them to our boss or any other stakeholders, we then become resentful. But when we know when we're walking into something and why we're doing it with purpose, uh, it's a lot easier to accept that environment and that reality. And so often, younger kids go into places and to work environments and make decisions and they truly don't know why they ended up there. And later halfway through when they have a breakdown, they say, why? Why am I doing this? The important thing is to answer that question before you go into it. I think that's so important. And that resonates really strongly with me. And before we started recording today, I shared a little bit about my background and the struggle that I had leaving my previous job with a well-known company and getting to that point where you are questioning yourself and you're having these breakdowns and you're like, why did I do this? Why am I here? You know, what, what can I do? And then feeling all of those societal pressures or familial pressures or wherever they're coming from of no, but you have to stay because you have this security or you have this prestige or whatever it is that you inherently value. Um, 
what advice, I guess, do you have for maybe our listeners that could be in that spot right now that are um, struggling with maybe they've hit that, you know, moment where they're like, it's a no shit moment. You know, it's like, I don't know where I'm going to go from here or how I got here or how to leave, but how do you start to work through that and do what you said, which is use that pain or that um, moment of emotion to move forward in a positive direction. So I, I tend to find that uh, people typically have a good idea in their head about what they want for themselves in their life a few decades from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they can see themselves and say, in general, this is the type of life I can, and, and you can do some exercise and visualize that. And uh, often the choices we make are, we are making choices today to find that joy later. And as opposed to finding the joy today, to say that, I'm going to take this job and take this job so I can have enough money to be able to go and work with the homeless. Or I'm going to take this job and this job because I want to be able to spend time when I end up having kids, I want to coach all their sports and I want to be there for four or 5 PM when they have their, so I'm going to do this because I want this as opposed to realizing that often we can do that today. And so short circuiting that and realizing that what about your personal values? are important to you and what decisions can you make today to get that today? Because so often we tell lies to ourselves about all the things we need to be able to get to that certain place that we know we will be healthy there. We will find joy there and joy, I specifically say joy again, because I do believe that part of the mental health crisis in our country has to do with the unfettered individual pursuit of happiness which is inherently a selfish pursuit and, and, and is at the end of the day, an empty pursuit. And in fact, there's a lot of studies that show that the more you pursue happiness, the more elusive it becomes. Happiness is partly, if you're the first part of the word, happiness is hap, hapless happenstance, which basically means that if things happen to be good, then you are going to happen to be happy. So now you're going, you're a ship at sea. And so when things get tough, you're overwhelmed and then you're not. And this, you don't have this anchor where joy is more of a way to way of being to virtue. You choose it and you can experience joy even in times of pain and suffering because you have the purpose and meaning behind it. It goes back to the question of why, why are you here? Why are you making this decision? And if you can do that and you can have that answer of why you can withstand almost anything, the power of the why is so important. And so and that's critical for mental health because so often we don't have that identity. We don't have that sense of self. And so what happens is that the external stimuli ends up overwhelming us. And we end up going down these different paths because we think different things and people expect certain things of us. And we don't take the time to take the step back and ask the question of why, why am I here? And also who am I? Who am I? What are my values? What's my purpose? What do I want to accomplish? What impact do I want to make on society? And then realize that you can do that right now. Thanks, Alex, for sharing that. In, in prior talks, and actually baked into what you just said, we actually, um, you know, we had a lot of people talking about building a team to support. Since you're in the business of delivering healthcare services, at what point does one actually reach out to you folks for support? Or stated differently, how does one know where to reach out for support is probably the question I have in my head. 
Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple there's a couple issues. One is that's one of the core problems is there's a crisis because people don't know, so that's a lack of awareness. The second reason there's a crisis there's a stigma. So once we know, we don't really want to talk about it with anybody. And then the third problem is once we're aware and we don't have a stigma, we go out, you can't find it. You can't find the appropriate level of care for when you need it. There's a wait list to see a particular clinician. It's almost all private pay. They don't take insurance. Um, and so it, it, becomes, it becomes difficult uh, to seek out help. However, uh, at the same time, Alan, I think one of your questions is that the, the most powerful uh, vehicle for sustainable change and mental health is relationship and finding environments where you're accepted unconditionally. Unconditional acceptance means that the person is always doing their best. In any given moment when they do something, because so much we say in that moment we do something, we're like, ah, oh, shoot, I could have gotten a better grade or I should have gotten this job or I should have. But we can't move forward unless we accept and we say that was the best I could do in that moment because if I could have done better, I would have. And when we accept that, that sets the stage for empathy, empathy for ourselves, or when others have unconditional acceptance for us, them have an empathy for us. And once we have empathy, that sets the stage for gratitude and then growth. So it doesn't mean that we resign ourselves to that outcome, to that certain situation, of feeling down because we didn't accomplish or feeling stressed because of whatever the issue may be. The issue becomes that we don't accept the situation. However bad or awful it may be, when we don't accept it, we can't grow from it. And so the important thing is to, for you to be able to try to get there, but it's really hard for an individual to get there unless they have at least one relationship or a community of people that provide those environments of unconditional acceptance, that you're always doing your best I may not accept the behavior, but I will always accept you. That starts to build the sense of self and it starts to build the foundation that allows us to have empathy and compassion, gratitude for what we do have that then creates the stage for us to grow and get better and be better. So that community, you don't need therapy for that. You don't need a psychiatrist for that. You don't need meds for that. You need solid relationships and friends that can create that environment uh, for you. And that's one of the most healing uh, the, th that is the most healing thing. Even when you talk about therapy, one-on-one -on -one individual therapy, a lot of research has shown is that the number one uh, most powerful aspect of change consistently is what they call the therapeutic alliance, which is the relationship between the client and the therapist. And it starts with the client, the question of does the client feel safe and accepted? And if they have a relationship where they feel safe and accepted and they trust, healing is happen, happening. It doesn't even matter what you talk about. It's not about, oh, tell me about your trauma or why is this? That relationship is the number one healer. You can get that in life and you don't have to pay for it with that community and those relationships. That's super important right now. So is it safe to say as a quick follow-up that some of the relationships we normally interact with are the opposite of this, that they're actually triggering and they're not helpful?
a lot of our, a lot of people with whom I've worked are getting a lot of noise and a lot of influence. And anytime they, they start thinking internally about, I think I want to go chase a dream of mine. They then go solicit input from people who aren't necessarily listening to them or, or paying attention or developing these kinds of relationship chemistry that you're describing. And so I'm trying to figure out if there's a way in which we can give them tools on how to find the people who can properly support them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a hard one. So I think that the first, I think that the first challenge is to, to equip them to, to be able to see it. And cause we all need to be able to see it when, if we can see, Oh, I see it here. This is unhelpful. Oh, this is what that, this is an unconditionally accepting relationship. And one of the issues is so often we don't know what it is. We don't see the damaging relationship. And, and often for those that are hurt and have extensive trauma, they don't see that accepting relationship until they're healed and they realize the impact that relationship had on them. Uh, and so a lot of that has to do with reading. Uh, so I, I would probably recommend uh, certain books uh, that uh, start to create that mindset for you. And so once you read those books or this podcast, for example, you start to you start because this is the issue too, is there's all the common sayings that you become who you hang out with, right? I think it's also similar that you become what you consume. Same way that from a nutrition perspective, nutrition is a huge, exercise and nutrition are probably the two biggest things. We didn't talk about this, but there could be a whole conversation around that in terms of mental health, nutrition and exercise. But you become what you eat as well. Um, and so, but you become what you consume in terms of podcasts and books. And the problem right now in this day and age when you consume things electronically, you can start to go down this path without you even realize that you're being fed all this content and articles. So if you're reading all these articles about COVID fear, trust me, the system is, oh, this person loves this, these types of articles that there's, there's going to be another spike or this is happening or there's a new strain. And, and then all of a sudden you're, you're like reading all that and the person that's not clicking on doesn't get any of that information. So we have to be very careful with the information we consume. So my first advice would be pay attention to what you're consuming, find podcasts like this, find books and articles, consume, consume, consume. You'll start to become more of that. And then you can start to see it in those relationships and friends. And there are going to be certain ones. There aren't, there's not going to be one relationship that's just perfect, but there are going to be some that weight more towards what you want to become and those that weigh less. And then you're going to need to start to make decisions around where you're spending your time. Again, this has to do with a lot of intentionality. Why? Just instead, I just happen to be with these friends because these are the friends I have. Is what is the what is the life you're trying to create, and what step are you taking to create to, to move towards that? So my my recommendation, and we can put some in the in the notes or or follow up where I, I could share a number of of, of books that uh, I think are powerful to give you the right framework to be able to see the, those relationships when they pop up. That would be so helpful. I want to be conscious of your time. I know we've already gone over a bit. Do you have time for one last question before yeah. we? Yes, of course. Off? Okay. Um, I think one thing that I'm curious about just sitting here, this is so great um, and relevant to me right now. I feel like I'm about to go into finals for law school. So like listening to your methods of managing um, stress and mental health have been super helpful. I was curious if you did have anything um, that you would like to give advice for our listeners on how, how do you self-regulate? Like, how do you, um, stay, um, healthy as someone that's literally in the business of helping other people get to that healthy place? 
I, I do a lot. Um, uh, it's important. Uh, the, the job is very stressful and it's difficult to uh, be a CEO of a growing company. It can be lonely sometimes and the stakes are high. We've, we often talk about we're not selling widgets on the corner. We're dealing with people's lives. And so your performance is critical uh, on all aspects. So, you know, if we expect the business on the corner selling widgets to, to, to have certain performance metrics, our standards need to be even higher. That's a lot of pressure. And just in the helping field in general, uh, where you uh, can take on the trauma of others and the stress of it's difficult. So taking care of yourself becomes even more important. Uh, however, I would say just as important. I wouldn't say that depending on the job and life you choose, you should take care of yourself less or more. Just really go all out on that. Uh, and so for me, it's definitely uh, sleep is critical. Um, and so, and often people I think would say, oh, you're the CEO of a growing company. You probably don't sleep. No, I sleep eight hours a night. And they say, uh, how do you have time for exercising? I happen to do triathlons and endurance training. So not only is it, hey, get on the treadmill in 30 minutes, I'll, I'll be working out for an hour and a half every single day. And um, uh, I, uh, meditation and breathing and stretching. Um, uh, I, I study the Bible, I pray. And uh, right now, for example, you may have heard of the Wim Hof uh, method. Uh, and No, I have not. A, what is that? It, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a breathing it's a breathing technique called the Wim Hof method. It takes about 10 minutes. There's another great one that I do every once in a while called box breathing. So uh, the other thing is the books that I read, uh, I engage in communities, for example, uh, a group called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. We have a forum once a month and we talk about things. We're a group of other CEOs. We talk, young CEOs, we talk about what we're struggling with and um, what we're dealing with. And there's a whole structure to that where you don't give advice. Um, that's important in relationships. We talked earlier about unconditional acceptance. Most people don't need advice. And, uh, and then I also have another group of, of young men, also professionals that we meet every Wednesday morning. It's a, it's a Bible study group. And then we also meet every two months and we do this half day where we all share, we give updates personal updates, updates on our family, updates on our professional, update, updates on how we're doing physically and faith-wise. We share all that with ourselves. So I'm creating relationships with others. I'm being vulnerable with others. They're being vulnerable with me. I'm finding those outlets to develop those relationships. And that all starts to allow for mental health combined with the eating well, combined with the exercising, combined with the meditation and breathing. That's a lot. But I think that all of us should be doing a lot. And what you end up finding is that when you do that, you become much more effective in your job, in your relationships, in life. And you don't need to spend as much time on everything as you thought. And this idea, and what it also ends up doing is that it ends up creating more of the opportunity to create work-life integration. It's also a, a big thing for me has always been not trying to find balance because then we're constantly resent, resentful towards the, the part that's causing us to be out of balance. And so what we want to do is accept it because when you can accept something, you can change something and it's okay. And you should accept the fact that every day you're going to be out of balance, but every day you should focus on integrating 
and saying, this is good, more of this, this is okay. And today I'm gonna do more of this and less of this. And every day ends up being choices and every day we accept so we don't live in resentment. And when we do that, we give ourselves control, we give ourselves power. And when we give ourselves control and power, it helps your mental health. Anxiety and stress and depression at the root is a lack of control. It's a body mechanism, body reaction that you're not in control of yourself, that you're not in control of your environment. And when your body realizes you're not in control, you start to think you're not worthy, you're not lovable, you can't achieve. And so all of these things have to do with choice. I choose to breathe. Cold exposure as well. Get into a, a bath with ice, 32 degrees, choose to get in. And what happens in that moment, you know what? Your body will say to your brain, you are dying. And then you don't get out. It says, hey, hey, you're dying. You're dying. And what you do is you say, no, I choose to be in here and I'm going to choose to breathe. And your shivering stops and your hyperventilating stops. And it starts to create this power of your body to be able to control. And so much about trauma too is about the body's inability to integrate adverse experiences. And it's about, about that I don't control my body. That's a lot of what mental health is. Uh, there's a great book that was written out there by Bessel, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps Score. So that's why I talked about first off the bat, breathing, eating right, exercising, everything to do with the body. And then we talked about relationships, actively participating in those relationships. I focus a lot, not just on those relationships, and the big reason why I do that is for the professional career, but most importantly, for my family, the relationship with my wife, which was, which is after my relationship with God, the number two most important relationship is not my kids. It's my wife. And I spend time nurturing that, studying and wanting to get better. And I know that when I breathe, when I work out, when I train, when I have this relationship with other men, when I'm doing all those things, I can be better. I can be a better husband. I can be more present, which then allows me to be a better father. It's all about integration and it's not perfection. None of this is perfection because every day I, is, is suboptimal. But guess what? Every day I accept, I accept that reality. Uh, so th those would, that would be uh, my advice uh, for those uh, right now struggling with all the pressure. Also just accept the pressure. And also if you accept one of the things I often tell myself is I need to be better every day and I need to own everything in my world. There is nobody else to blame. And uh, when I say that, the first reaction you're going to, or you truly believe that, this is the power of this belief. When you create that mindset, the first reaction is complete overwhelm. I'm compl how can I be responsible and own everything in my world? But then the second is, you can't. So therefore, you accept and what people try to do is when they, they don't own everything in their world, they try to control something really small. And then, that, and then that doesn't go well and everything falls apart. But when you own everything in your world and you realize you can't, you accept and you say, well, whatever happened today, unconditional acceptance, that's the best I could do. And tomorrow I'm going to be better. So I think this is incredibly helpful input. And I, want, I would love to bring you back for more. Because I, I think the relationships are, are what keep me going. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I, I hope I hope somebody does. I'm sure people are going to get on here and listen listen to this for you guys because you guys are leading this. But ho hopefully, it is helpful uh, to a person or two, and, ha and happy to. This is 
This is uh, my life's work, a lot of what we're talking about. And these types of conversations are conversations we have here internally all the time. So I appreciate the opportunity. And and I want to follow up. uh, I have to say this very, very genuinely. It's a pleasure to hear somebody deeply, passionately talking about their work. It's so rare in yes. particularly in business school environments. And it is such a pleasure. And it's indicative of exactly what I've been trying to help coach up with within the student cohort that I've worked with. So thank you for doing that. Oh, that's great. Thank you. It is it is possible. Hopefully that's a message is you you can find it. I think you've hit on so many topics that we have been circling around in our previous episodes so far, but this was one that we really wanted to nail because it's such an important um, foundational element of creating not just a career that you love and are purpose-driven, passionate about, um, but creating a life that you're proud of and that you enjoy. And um, I'm just so inspired by you and all of the things that you've just said that you do every day in your life, but also, yeah, being a CEO, being a dad, being a husband and accepting yourself and that unconditional acceptance is just, that's such a powerful tool. Um, So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for making the time for us. Um, Before we wrap, I wanted to ask if you wanted to share um, where people can find you and where they can find um, Embark Behavioral Health and everything like that. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm on, uh, I guess, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, DA Stavros is uh, the, um, Anchor tag, what do you call it? Username Handle. something. <laughs> and uh, and then and then Embark is our company, Embark Behavioral Health. So it's Embark BH. Embark BH is is the handle. Uh, you can follow Embark on Instagram and Twitter and uh, LinkedIn as well, or go to embarkbh.com uh, to learn more about the organization and the amazing work that all of our people do on the front line every single day just uh, incredibly inspired by them all the time. Uh, uh, really uh, motivates me and drives me uh, to be better and to serve them uh, better. Uh, and really appreciate what both of you, Danielle and Alan are doing. This is, this is meaningful. Uh, this, is, this is your volunteer work. It's definitely feel it's coming from your heart and the desire to serve others. And, and uh, I'm really grateful for that from you guys. Well, thank you so much again for making the time. Um, And that's where we'll end things today. So thanks everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts or feedback or want to share this episode with more of your friends that need to hear this, we will be posting um, some of the resources that Alex talked about today over on our Instagram as well at paths to purpose pod, or you can email us with any thoughts or feedback at paths to or paths to purpose pod at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Bye.